HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Tabard Inn, new American cuisine in one of Washington, D.C.'s oldest hotels, located in DuPont Circle. For more information, visit tabardin.com. Hey, this is Hannah, HRN's program manager. It's HRN's 10th anniversary and now our summer fun drive. So show your support for independent, revolutionary, entertaining food radio by becoming a monthly recurring donor. HRN is powered by a passionate community of thoughtful eaters, and we need each and every one of you to show your support so that we can keep bringing you your favorite food podcasts. It takes a village, and every dollar donated, every listener tuning in is essential to our continued success. So set up a donation for ten dollars every month you'll show us that you want to be a part of a bright future for hrn and you'll get one of our brand new limited edition pizza pocket t-shirts so snag your new favorite tea and show us some love all for the price of about two fancy lattes each month go to heritageradionetwork.org slash donate today and thank you if you don't feel guilty it wasn't that good doctor i keep eating all the frozen glacia all the what Frozen glacier, ice cream. I just can't help myself. Hmm. Have you tried giving up frozen glacier? What do you think? I'm crazy. Enjoy the guilt. Frozen glacier. This week we're going all in on ice cream, and we don't feel the least bit guilty about it. I'm Kat Johnson, and this is Meat and Three. Meat and Three. Meat and Three. Meat and Three. One meat. Three sides. Food, news, and storytelling. A square meal for your ears. Meat and three. So at the top of the show, you heard a 1987 commercial for Frusenglaja, an American ice cream brand with a quasi-Swedish name that mysteriously disappeared in the early 90s. Some interesting things were happening with ice cream in the U.S. back then. In 1994, the New York Times proclaimed that, quote, the fat times are over for premium ice cream makers. They reported that brands like Ben & Jerry's and Haagen-Dazs were losing market share as consumers pursued healthier eating habits. But guess what word never appears in that article? That would be sugar. Later in the show, we'll hear why sugar is actually higher in, quote, lighter ice creams, and check in on a few of those super premium ice cream brands, which, by the way, are doing just fine. But first, Aaliyah Papes brings us a delightful excerpt from a dessert-themed episode of Life's a Banquet. 
A year from now, dessert master Rose Levy Berenbaum will release the next book in her ongoing series tackling the world's favorite sweets, Ice Cream Bliss. Her earlier books include treasures like The Cake Bible, The Pie and Pastry Bible, The Bread Bible, and Rose's Heavenly Cakes. Rose and her cookbook collaborator Woody Wolston joined hosts and superfans Zara Tangora and Bretton Scott on a recent episode of Life's a Banquet. We have a very, very, very special guest, one of my personal baking heroes, uh, Rose Levy. Baron So today we've all brought you here to celebrate yes. one of our favorite confections of all time. And it's perfect because the new book is about da 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 ice cream. Ice cream. Uh, We're all screaming exactly. about ice cream. Or as I like to say in French, galas. Rose and Woody shared some ice cream tips and talked about why readers should try cooking ice cream at home. You have to think people can buy ice cream. They can go to boutique places. But why make your own? And the reason mm, is because yes. when you make your own, you don't have to use any preservatives or additives. Mm. So you get the pure flavor. You could always tell when the additives are added. Yeah. Exactly. We yeah. really have to tell you a really hot tip about ice cream. Because oh, there please. Makes, All right, cool. Well, not tips. only is there a reason for making ice cream because you can and make it pure, but you can also make the flavors that you want. And my goal yes. is to make a creamy ice cream. If it's going to be icy, might as well make sorbet. Absolutely. So... <laughs> One of the tips is when you're making berry ice creams is mm-hmm. to concentrate the juices. And the best way to do it is by freezing the berries. And then you don't have to cook the berry part because that stays fresh and vibrant. Oh. But the juices get reduced down. Rose and Woody talked about some of their favorite recipes from the 150 in the book. They're not far out. Like there's no bacon ice cream. Oh, thank goodness. But there is Thai corn ice cream. And there are actually two recipes in the book that don't require, I mean, you wouldn't use an ice cream machine for. And the reason that they don't get ice is because they're made with Italian meringue, which means that you have egg white that you beat. I mean, you, you guys know this, but that you beat a hot sugar syrup in, mm-hmm. and that d- prevents it from freezing. And wow. one is a nougat, and the other is a lemon ginger. Oh and they're two God. of my favorite Amazing. recipes. A frozen Italian meringue. I didn't, I didn't know that That's that was so new to That's so fabulous. Me. We are all out of time, but this was an amazing, amazing honor for us both. Thank you, everybody. Thank and, you very uh, much. Hasta la pasta. Stay tuned for the release of Ice Cream Bliss coming in May 2020. In the meantime, check out the full conversation on episode 42 of Life's a Banquet to hear more ice cream tips from Rose and Woody and a brief history of Ben and Jerry's from Zara. You can find more of Rose's books and cooking tips at realbakingwithrose.com. Speaking of Ben and Jerry's, the famous Vermont-based ice cream company has been making our sweet, salty, crunchy, creamy dreams come true for decades now. Despite being a household name, the company is notoriously secretive about new flavors. Hannah Forden tracked down one of the keepers of these ice cream mysteries to learn more. I'm Sarah Fiddler. I'm a flavor guru at Ben & Jerry's. Sarah took a break during a recent family road trip to speak with me. This is Hadley. She's 11 months old. I asked what exactly a flavor guru does. Uh, so we basically come up with new ice cream flavors. That's, that's the short explanation. But uh, we come up with the ideas. We figure out how to make them in the kitchen work with our manufacturing sites to figure out how they can make them, and then uh, work with a lot of the other teams in the company to um, 
develop the packaging and uh, actually turn it into a product that can go onto shelves and be sold across the country. In addition to taking Ben & Jerry's flavors from a mere idea to a treat in my freezer, Sarah has to keep the new recipes she's working on under a veil of mystery. Yeah, so it is it is uh it's very top secret. Um we are not allowed to talk about anything that hasn't launched yet. People people all the time and you know strangers that I meet in restaurants or uh airplanes always want to know what I'm working on. I'm like I can't even tell my mother what I'm working on. I can't imagine having to keep such delicious secrets. We're usually working on projects about 18 to 24 months in advance. So, you know, we we don't bring home anything that we're working on that hasn't launched yet. And when something launches, I get really excited to uh, to show people because it's been uh, bottled up for so long that I want to show everyone what I worked on for two years. No spoilers here. But mystery aside... I was curious what goes into creating an innovative flavor combination that actually tastes good. For every pint that makes it to the shelves, we've probably as a team made 10 possibilities of that flavor. And, you know, sometimes we nail it in the first one or two rounds. And a lot of times they're like, oh, I thought this would be really good. And I actually, I recently was um, just playing around in the kitchen and you know, it's about to be strawberry season in Vermont the next few weeks and was playing around in the kitchen with some strawberries and uh, and chocolate making an ice cream actually for uh, Hadley's first birthday. And what I thought would be really good is, you know, it's a chocolate ice cream with strawberries and a chocolate cookie swirl. And um, and it's good, but, you know, not nearly as good as uh, as I thought it would be. And now I'm, you know, starting to think of you know, could I have added something salty in there? Could I added some marshmallow? Um, trying to think of ways because I think it was just a little bit too much chocolate, believe it or not. A single element can transform the ice cream from meh to amazing. A lot of times, you know, adding a little bit of salt to cut the sweet or even texture, you know, adding a little bit of crunch if you don't have any in there or our marshmallow is really great add some add some good uh, lightness of flavor and also a really neat chewy marshmallow texture i can't imagine my old favorite fish food without the marshmallow so even if we're left wondering about their secret development process knowing how much research and development goes into making the perfect ben and jerry's flavor makes me appreciate it even more we'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsors This episode is brought to you by Tabard Inn. Tabard Inn, Washington, D.C.'s quintessential hotel, is located on a quiet, tree-lined street just five blocks from the White House. Vibrant yet unassuming, the Tabard is comprised of 40 sleeping rooms, each unique in character and design. Feast on an eclectic American cuisine in their acclaimed restaurant, or enjoy a cocktail and listen to live jazz in one of their cozy Victorian seating areas. Mingle with travelers from around the world who find the Tabard the only place to stay when taking their travels to Washington. For more information, visit tabardin.com. Welcome back to Meet in Three. 
When's the last time you had a flavor of ice cream that blew your mind? For me, it was Gooey Butter Cake by Clementine's Naughty and Nice Creamery. No one in the country makes it like we do. Meet Tamara Keefe. I'm the CEO, founder, and otherwise known as the flavor temptress of Clementine's Naughty and Nice Creamery. I got to taste her ice creams at an event hosted by Explore St. Louis, the city where her micro creamery is located. The gooey butter cake is one of her so-called nice flavors, while her naughty flavors have boozy infusions. We have a trade secret process for infusing alcohol into ice cream up to 18%, which nobody in the country can do, hence the naughty. So most of the boozy ice creams out there either have such a small amount of alcohol in them doesn't really matter. It doesn't really make them that boozy. One. Two, they're using uh, liquor flavorings, like a bourbon flavor as opposed to bourbon. Or they've used liquor in the product, but then they've baked it, or they have cooked it or pasteurized it out. We don't do that. Our ice cream packs a full punch. It's not only the flavors that make Clementine's naughty and nice creamery stand out. It's one of just a handful of micro creameries in the country. In order to be a micro creamery, There are five qualifications that you have to meet. One is you have to be small batch, meaning real people have to make the ice cream, not some big industrious continuous machine. Number two, everything in the ice cream has to be handcrafted. So are your sauces, your variegates, your chunks of deliciousness, everything that you put into the ice cream, you have to make by hand. Number three, you have to be all natural. Number four, You have to have less than 30% overrun, which is a technical term for the amount of air that's whipped into the ice cream. And then last but not least is butterfat. In order to be a micro creamery, you have to have more than 16% butterfat in your ice cream. And all of ours have between 16 to 18%. Tamara is also highly dedicated to sourcing the best dairy for her ice cream. It took me about six months, but I found an amazing local dairy co-op right over the bridge in Illinois called Meadowvale. And they have amazing cows. And, you know, we kind of, we we, we call ourselves cow to cone because of the amount that we purchase from this dairy co-op. We actually are, um, how do I say, we don't dictate, but we have input into what the cows are fed, meaning they're never fed corn, they're never fed soy, they're never fed animal byproduct, they're all RBST and hormone-free cows, and they're grass-grazed and pasture-fed. So we're starting with this amazing product, and we get to have that kind of input because of the volume of product that we buy. So not only is the ice cream delicious, it also helps support family dairy farms in Iowa. If you're in St. Louis, you can go get a naughty or nice scoop of local small batch ice cream from Clementine's. But if not, they also ship. Go to clementinescreamery.com to get your hands on this one-of-a-kind ice cream. For our last story, we're diving deeper into a topic that Tamara touched on, overrun. Here's Oscar Belkin-Sessler with the story. Food trends come and go, but ice cream is forever. Well, as long as you eat it before the melt starts. But seriously, this magical frozen dessert is just as loved as it's ever been. And judging from all the wild flavors that places like Clementine's have been churning out, it's clear that the industry is expanding. Creamers on the cutting edge have seriously progressed the ice cream game. 
But while typically unusual flavors like durian and calamansi have become quite prevalent in the world of high-end ice cream, ask any experienced crafter or connoisseur of the stuff about the most important aspect, and it's actually unlikely that they're going to talk to you about taste. Yeah, because it isn't about the flavors, and I realized that after long after I started making it. Jenny Britton Bauer is the creator of Jenny's Splendid Ice Creams and a certified giant in the world of ultra-premium frozen desserts. The flavors are easy because if you start with great ingredients, you're going to get great flavor. And, you know, you can always find cool things to mix together to create a story or whatever. But what it's about is the texture and the body of the ice creams. If you can't get that right, then the story and the flavor doesn't matter because you'll, you'll be distracted by the iciness or the, the, sear, the soupiness or the brick-hard ice cream that it won't, the flavor won't even matter. And there's a whole bunch of variables that play into the texture. The cream-to-milk ratio, the use of stabilizers, sugar content, added fat. But there's just one metric that grocers, creamers, and consumers can use to get an idea about the quality of an ice cream without ever needing to try it. It's called overrun. And if we're all screaming for ice cream, I'm running from overrun. Okay, Hannah, picture this. I'm standing in Key Food. It's 10.30 at night. I've got that vanilla ice cream craving. Now I go to the freezer... And I'm looking at two ice creams. I'm looking at the Briars and I'm looking at the Haagen-Dazs. The Briars is 1.5 quarts and the Haagen-Dazs is one quart. But there's something weird going on because I have them both in my hand and they weigh like pretty much the same. Okay, uh, explain. Is a quart volume or is it weight? So the quart is volume and they'll also display their size in fluid ounces, which got me confused because I've always known ounces as weight. But when it's with fluids, it's really the volume. And they actually don't do a good job of representing how much ice cream is in by weight. And why is that? Overrun. So what is overrun? And what have I got against it? Well, just like how whipped cream is the result of literally whipping air into cream, ice cream also uses air to give it that classic voluminous structure. And overrun is the air content of any given ice cream. With this distinguisher, grocery stores have been able to create a sort of hidden hierarchy. The four tiers of ice cream are similar to the ones you might find when looking to purchase a car. But instead of engine size and amenities dictating the placement, it's all about air content. According to the FDA, in order for ice cream to be called ice cream, a gallon of it must weigh at least four and a half pounds, and no more than half of its volume can be made up of air. If half the volume is air, then the overrun is rated at 100%, and that's the legal limit. If the overrun is higher, Brands are forced to label the product frozen dairy dessert. Go to your supermarket and look for the cheapest ice cream. It's probably going to be one of those. And based on the overrun, ice creams are commonly sorted into one of four categories. Economy, standard, premium, and super premium. Okay, back to the story. So I thought, okay, I need to get down to the bottom of this. I ended up buying both. And they happened to be the same price. They were both $5.99, even though the Briars had 50% more ice cream by volume. So I bring them home, I get out my scale, I tear up the scale, I put the the ice cream into new containers so we're not dealing with any of the the container weight. So we're following the scientific method here. Pretty much. And it was really surprising. I quickly realized that there is not much more ice cream by weight in the Briars at all. It's almost identical. There's actually only a one ounce difference between the amount of ice cream by weight. So what does that mean in terms of like... What am I? What am I buying here? What? What is it? An actual bargain to get the Briars, or not so much? That's where it gets interesting. The Briars cost about twenty-three cents an ounce. So this is when you're just looking at it by weight. 
On the other hand, the Haagen-Dazs cost 25 cents an ounce. But that's not that huge of a difference. That's two cents an ounce, and it comes out to about 30 cents a portion. Okay. Let's – I need I need to step away from the math and move into talking about ice cream again. So, okay. You get more scoops out of the briars. Exactly. But it's technically the same amount of ice cream. So I can feed more people with the same amount of ice cream. Exactly. Right. So it's airier. It takes up more space. You could fill up your bowl and it looks like the same amount, but it's going to end up being a lot lighter. Okay. So then I guess what is what is the difference? One ice cream has more air. And does that really matter? That's a good question. And I'd argue that it really does. First off, I found the briars to be too light, too similar to Cool Whip, and just not satisfyingly rich. I also found it to be way too sweet and lacking that clean vanilla flavor. But the artificial flavor and almost sickly sweetness aren't necessarily attached to the lack of quality ingredients, but are actually a direct result of the high overrun. If there's more air and less of the cream base, that base mixture needs to be more heavily flavored and sweetened to account for the mass of bland air. While overall the haagen has more sugar per serving, it actually is less than the Briars when we look at it in terms of a percentage of the product. And this is because the Briars, having more air, calls for more flavoring. And there's one other thing. The more air there is, the less of a solid structure the ice cream is going to have. And in turn, the need for stabilizers increases. Here's ice cream maker extraordinaire Nicholas Morgenstern's take on it. I find that stabilizers just really inhibit the flavor release, bottom line. So when it comes to ice cream, an increased amount of air means more stabilizers, which in turn means even more sugar, sodium, and other flavors are needed to keep the whole thing from tasting air down, if you will. And while there is a slightly higher cost for the premium ice cream, it's much more marginal than the price tag might suggest. So next time you're trying to decide whether to grab that $3 pint or splurge on the $5 one, remember, the cheaper the ice cream, the more air you're paying for it, and the more sugar you're going to get. But at the end of the day, ice cream in all forms is a beautiful thing, and it's a personal thing. Some people prefer the light, airy texture, and others might find that the value is there with the briars. Besides, on a hot summer day, Who among us is really able to resist the call of that ice cream truck, even if it might come with a large side of air? Well, that's our show. Thanks so much for listening. Special thanks this week to Aaliyah Papes, Oscar Belkin-Sessler, Zara Tangora, and Bretton Scott. Meet and Three is produced by Liza Hamm, Hannah Forden, Katie Mosman-Wadler, and me, Kat Johnson. Our audio engineer is Matt Patterson. Our theme song was composed by Breakmaster Cylinder. This program is supported in part by public funds from the New York City Department of Cultural Affairs in partnership with the City Council.